Come on. Who's excited for conference? Yes. Good morning, friends. So good to be with you. Good morning to those online. Uh, we got Ellen and Kerry from St. George. They're on holiday in Mount Isa and joining us. So, so good to, to have you guys. How good is new life online? You can join church while you're on holiday. So, so good to have you guys all joining us um, this morning. Um, actually, let me, I want to do this. I want to honor our, our, op, our ops team, our online ops team, because at the moment they are commun- or they're in the dark. They cannot communicate to one another. So cameras have no idea when they're actually on. Norm is not able to communicate to cameras. So can we just honor these guys and girls who are just leading in such an amazing way? Well done. So friends, we're going to jump into the sermon this morning, but, um, into the message. But before we do, can you just bow your heads, close your eyes and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, that you are here. We just, um, we just center our hearts, Lord. We get into a posture of, of listening and, and, and speak to us, Father. What is it that you're wanting to say? Just as you spoke to me as I prepared this sermon, Lord God, I pray that you'll speak to your sons and daughters here this morning too. In Jesus' name, amen. Hey to um, Dana and Palmer as well, joining us online. How good, sick baby, so they can all join online as well. Amazing, love it. Um, so for those that may be joining us for the first time, I just want to bring you up to speed. We're in our third week um, here in our, on our, in our series called Prayer, where we're looking at um, that moment in the Bible where Jesus teaches his followers, his disciples, how to pray. Where his disciples say, Jesus, teach us how to pray. And so in the first week, Fiona spoke about our spiritual hunger for prayer and why prayer is important and how prayer can access the presence of God. And then Mark spoke about the first part of the Lord's Prayer, which starts with our Father who art in heaven, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. And today we're looking at the second part of the Lord's Prayer, where Jesus teaches his disciples to do what is so contradictory to our world or so contradictory to our culture today, and that is to take ourselves out of the center, take our will out of the center, and put our agenda aside and call in God's will, God's agenda, and his kingdom. So those words, Matthew 6 verse 10, may your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Those, that's the sentence, those are the words Um, That's the petition we're going to be looking at this morning. And you might be sitting here going, Kelvin, I actually don't really need to listen to this. I don't really need to know what it means to say those words. Because I have a prayer life. I wake up in the morning and I pray for my day. Or maybe on on the way to work, I pray for my family and I pray for my day to come and I pray for my colleagues. Or maybe you're sitting here and you're going, Kelvin, actually the last thing I want to talk about right now is prayer. Because for the past few years, I've been praying about this one thing, and no one is listening. No prayers are answered. And you're at the point where you're frustrated because you're not feeling as if your prayers are being listened to. Or maybe you're new to faith, and you're exploring, or you're exploring faith, and the only prayer that you know is one when you are in desperate need, or fearful, and you cast your prayer out there to whoever may be listening. So my prayer for us this morning is that as we look at these words, your kingdom come, your will be done, that will be driven to a place where we are closer to God and we know that God is listening and God is with us. And so when I was preparing, I felt that these three questions were really helpful, a great lens to look through at this passage. And the three questions is, 
The first one is what is meant by God's kingdom and his will? And what are we asking for when we make these two petitions? And the third one, how should we live and pray in light of these requests? And so the first question, what is meant by God's kingdom and his will? We're going to spend more time on this question than the others because I think it is so important for us to understand the kingdom of God. And so bear with me because there's a lot of content. So those at home, those online, you in the room, lean in, hang in there. We'll get through this. So we're going to start with the word kingdom. Okay, the Greek word for kingdom, I can see people already switched off. I'm just kidding. The Greek word for kingdom is basileia, and it occurs 162 times in the, in the New Testament alone. And now the reason why I say that, Mark acts like he doesn't know that, but I know that he does. The reason why, the reason why I say that statement is because it shows us how important this word and this topic is. And so for us to really understand this passage, we need to understand what the kingdom is. So in the Lord's Prayer, we see the word kingdom, referencing God's kingdom. We've prayed, our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So now we're speaking about God's kingdom. And Mark last week spoke about God as our Father, our Abba Father. And we're praying, we're speaking about our Abba Father's kingdom. Further down in Matthew 6, in verse 33, Jesus tells his disciples, his followers, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things, referencing the things that we tend to worry about here on earth, will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and all these things shall be added. What does this mean, seek first his kingdom? One way for us to understand what the kingdom is about is to understand, what the kingdom, is to understand that the kingdom is God's redemptive or redeeming presence coming from heaven to earth, and we can trace this theme all throughout the Bible. A theme of God with us, of God dwelling with us, dwelling with his people. And we can see God dwelling with Adam and Eve way back in the beginning of the Bible. God was there with Adam and Eve in the garden. His presence was there with them. And then because of sin and rebellion, they are kicked out of the garden, and, and that's, we know that's not the end of the story. And then we get to... I'm sorry, I lost my place. Um, and then God promises a holy, a, a holy land. A new sort of garden in which the presence of God dwells. And that's why in the, in the midst of the camp is the tabernacle and later a temple representing the fullness of God's presence as he dwells with his people. But just like in the garden, because of sin and rebellion, God's people are kicked out of that new garden and the promised land, or kicked out of the promised land, and exiled to the east of Eden, to Babylon. And then we fast forward to the New Testament, when God sends his son, Jesus Christ, to dwell amongst his people, and he announces that he will be the new temple. He will now be the center point. No longer will God's presence be situated in a specific land or around a building or a tent, but now around a person. God in the flesh, restoring his presence to his people through the life of Jesus Christ. And this is the good news, because this means that now the redemptive presence of God is experienced and known where Jesus is believed upon and followed. And this is the part that I love in Matthew 19. We see Jesus saying, come unto me, then you will know the kingdom of God. He's saying, the kingdom of God is with you, but it shall also be in you when you know me, when you come to me. And we see this play out later in Acts on the day of Pentecost. 
Pentecost is this incredible moment where the disciples witness the birth of the New Testament church and the coming of the Holy Spirit to indwell in all his believers. And on the day of Pentecost, the disciples literally received the kingdom because the kingdom was first a person, Jesus, and now it's lived out by his spirit who is in us as believers. So those who came to Alpha Super Saturday, where we learned about who is the Holy Spirit and what does the Holy Spirit do, where you were prayed for and you gave your life to the Lord and you're filled with the Spirit, you now carry the kingdom of God. And we see from Scripture, I haven't got these on the slides, so just hang in there with me. Mark 10 verse 15, we see that we receive the kingdom of God. In John 3, 5 to 7, we enter the kingdom of God. Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is in our midst. Daniel 2, 44, his kingdom will never be destroyed. Daniel 4, verse 3, the kingdom of God is everlasting and endures from generation to generation. John 18, 36, his kingdom is not of this world, but a spiritual kind. So we can sum up the kingdom of God in a way that is not a realm or a place, but rather a rule or reign of God in us, around us, and still to come. And for those who are followers of Jesus, we acknowledge God as our king, right? Praying thy kingdom come means we desire for his sovereign rule over our lives here on earth as we submit to his authority and we yield to his control in every aspect of our existence. And likewise, praying thy kingdom comes means that we earnestly yearn for God's reign to be established throughout the whole earth and every human being. We pray thy kingdom come so that God's sovereign rule will come now and in the future in its fullness and permanence, unchanged and indefinite. And so friends, if you call yourself a Jesus follower here this morning, then I have good news for you because the kingdom of God is within you because that's where God rules and he reigns. And if you're saying, well, Kelvin, that's not me. I actually don't identify myself as a follower of Jesus. Well, I have good news for you too. Because all that you need to do is say yes to the kingdom of God. Yes to living for the kingdom, which is transforming, forgiving, accepting, loving, and eternal, not controlling, condemning, selfish, lonely, and dividing. The kingdom of God is light and life, and the kingdom of this world is darkness and death. And so to sum up what the kingdom is, I'll finish with this quote from Dr. Charles Monroe, which should come up on the screen. A kingdom is a governing influence of a king over his territory, impacting it with his will, his purpose, and his intention, producing a citizenry of people who express his culture and reflect his nature. Can you imagine if we were a people, a citizenry of people who expressed his culture and reflected his nature everywhere that we went? So we bought, before we move on to the second question, I just want to touch on the second petition, your will be done. What is the will of God? Great question. And, and on, on the simplest level, the will of God is God's desire for the good of all of his people. And I'm not going to go into the complex topic of the will of God. That's a whole sermon in itself. But there's great content out there covered by Pete, Pete Gregg in 24-7 prayer. But I don't want to, the one thing I want to focus on on that topic, the will of God, is that God is not a dictator. Pete Gregg says that, or we, we tend, as Christians, as believers, we tend to expect that the king of kings is this great dictator up there wanting things to be run the way that he wants things to be run. 
But I love how Pete Greig puts it, that God is in fact a great delegator, whose divine nature is not to dominate, subjugate, and control, but to serve, listen, and empower. Pete Greig goes on to say, we are free to live of this world and do terrible things as the news reveals daily, but we're also free to do brilliantly wonderful things, imagining, inventing, and co-creating new realities in prayer all through the free will that God gives us. Can you imagine as a business owner, as a business person, as a teacher, as a parent, if we led and we loved in a way that was listening, empowering, and loving, not subjugating, controlling, and dominating. We all know that God is more than able to do His will without prayer or cooperation, yet He invites the participation of our prayers. He invites the participation of our hearts and our actions in seeing His will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. So moving on to the second question. Are you still with me? Okay. There was a lot of content, I know. We're getting there. What are we asking for when we, when we ask these two petitions? If, like me, when you think about what you actually pray for, so you think about your own prayer life right now, take a moment to think about that, you might feel a little deflated when comparing your prayers or requests to things like God's will, His kingdom come, centered around His priorities. Honestly, I feel like my prayers can sometimes be a little bit worthless in comparison. But I love what pre- Pete Gregg says in his, in his book, How to Pray. He says, it is by asking more for lesser things that we rediscover how to live with the wide-eyed wonder of children. By filling our days with prayers, we relinquish our sense of entitlement and receive each detail as a blessing, each coincidence as a minor miracle, training our neural pathways to rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, <coughs> excuse me, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. <coughs> Sorry, friends. So there is no prayer that is too small for God. Jesus did instruct us to cast all of our burdens onto him. That's big or small. So let's not stop praying the smaller prayers, but let's also pray through the grid of for your glory, God, and for the sake of your kingdom and your will. Notice in Matthew 6, Jesus doesn't focus on how, to, how long to pray or what they should feel like when they pray, but instead he focuses on what we should pray for. Amen. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven, we are asking for God's commandments to be obeyed and lived out. We are asking for Christ to reign in human hearts. We are asking for redemptive presence of God to be known and felt here and now. We're asking for the reign and rule of God and of heaven to be experienced on earth, to be experienced in our churches, to be experienced in our workplaces, to be experienced in our homes. We are asking God for his final victory to come. Moving on to the third question, how should we live and pray in light of these requests? So this is the home run. We should live and pray obediently. We should live and pray outwardly. We should live and pray expectantly. And so what does that mean? What does it mean to live and pray obediently? The Lord's Prayer is not a pattern for praying. It's a pattern for living. 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 17 says, to pray continually, or other other versions say, to pray without ceasing. What does that look like for us? What does it look like to pray without ceasing? 
Does that mean that every minute, every second that we're awake, we should be praying? In fact, actually, we shouldn't be sleeping. We should be praying without ceasing, praying without stopping. I don't think that's the case. I think what it means is that we live and pray with an attitude of God consciousness and God's surrender. I want to say that again. I think that it means that we live and we pray with an attitude of God consciousness and God's surrender that we carry with us all the time. Every waking moment is to be lived in an awareness that God is with us and that he is actively involved and engaged in our thoughts and in our actions. Would things look different for you or your family or your workplace or for our church if we lived and prayed with an awareness that God is with us and that he is actively involved and engaged in our thoughts and actions? As we go through the day, prayer should be our first response to every fearful situation, every anxious thought, every undesired task that we might be feeling God commanding us to do. Prayer should be our first response. How often do we get caught up in the things that we are worrying about and forget to actually cast that burden onto God? And I don't know about you, but I find a lack of prayer causes me to, de- causes me to depend more on myself instead of actually depending on God. So prayer, I find personally, prayer helps me get into a posture of more of you, God, and less of me. Prayer helps me to be a better husband to my wife a better father to my daughter, a better, better leader, a better friend, a better brother, a better son. J.R. Packer says, to pray thy kingdom come is searching and demanding for one must be ready to add and start with me. Imagine if this was one of our prayers, we obediently lived and prayed every day. May you work in me, O Lord. Come that, I may, come that I may glorify your name, submit to your reign, and follow your rule, and start with me. So my second sub-point um, for how we should live and pray, to live, uh, sorry, how we should live and pray with this petition is to live outwardly. So a religion produces a system, a list of rules. A kingdom, true faith, produces a culture, a lifestyle that is natural, loving one another because it's our culture, it's our nature, not because God tells us to, or forgiving our enemy, not because we're supposed to, or because we are under guilt to, but because it's our culture, it's our nature. And if we truly love, if we truly love people, Richard Foster says, we will desire for them far more than it is within our power to give them. And this will lead us to prayer. Prayer for others, also known as intercession. He goes on to say, intercession is a way of loving others. It's living in a way where we are outward looking and not inward looking. Again, Richard Foster says, in the kingdom of God, nothing is more important than intercessory prayer and we can make a difference with our prayers. So in my preparation, I came across these two incredible true stories relating to this, which I'd love to share with you. So here's the first one. This guy named Dutch Sheets, who wrote a book on prayer, told the story of being asked to visit a sick stranger in a nursing home in order to pray for her. Now he at the time was a pastor in Colorado, had no information on this woman that he was going to pray for whatsoever, except that she was a sister of someone who was within his congregation, and he, this guy had pleaded with him that he would go to this nursing home to pray with her. So he walks into her room, and this woman is fully comatosed. 
has a breathing tube down her throat and a feeding tube in her stomach that's keeping her alive. And he finds out from the staff that she has been in that state for over a year. Their doctors, who are simply waiting on their family's permission to pull the plug, say there is no medical reason to believe that she will regain consciousness. And if by some sort of miracle she did, they're certain that she would be nothing more than a vegetable because of the brain damage she incurred through the comatose state. So he prays with this woman, who is in all likelihood is not listening, and he was so moved in compassion for her that he prayed, that he, that he prayed, and he secretly made this a weekly discipline in his life and just kept com coming back to her, her room to pray. And he would pray for an hour with her every week for 52 visits for one year. So approximately after the 52 visits, later she woke up and she woke up with no trace of brain damage after two years in a coma. It was written up in a city's newspaper and an article titled, Woman, Awake, Alive, Healthy After Two Years in Coma. And the doctors that cared for her are quoted in that very article, calling it a medical miracle and saying we have no explanation. And here's the next story. There's a woman named Monica. She's a single mom with, with, with one son. She grew up as a devout believer. She would regularly sing hymns and pray over her baby nightly as he grew up, only to see the world quite a bit differently than his mom did. And he became known in their city for public drunkenness and womanizer. He was incredibly intelligent and became a professor of philosophy and used all of his intellect to philosophically combat the faith that he despised that his mother carried. Monica did not give up. She just kept on praying for her son. When he was 19 years old, she had a dream at night in which she believes God was promising her that he heard her prayers and he would answer her prayers for her son. Nine years passed, nine years passed after she had that dream and she grew more intense in prayer and year after year, she, sorry, year after year, she saw no change. Then at the nine-year mark, her son was alone in a garden on an otherwise ordinary afternoon, heard the voice of God, opened up his scriptures that he had spent his life combating and came to faith in Jesus alone in that garden. His name is St. Augustine, and he's arguably one of the most famous theologians in the history of the Christian faith. So I'm telling you these two stories to point out that our prayer is about God acting on earth in response to conversation with a single human being. How incredible that we serve a God that powerful, yet that personal. And I just feel in my spirit right now, actually, that there's some people in this room, maybe one of you, who's been praying a prayer, longing for that prayer to be answered. And you're going, Lord, how come that prayer was answered and mine hasn't been? I'm sorry. And I get a sense that God's wanting to say, keep praying. Whoever you are, keep praying. God's hearing your prayers. And he cries with you. So keep praying. <clears throat> sure. Thank you, Lord. Walter Wink said this, The message is clear. History belongs to the ancestors who believe the future into being. And here at New Life, we are extremely blessed to have the intercessors that we have, praying for those prayer requests that come through regularly. And this room is filled with them. Your prayer requests, my prayer requests, come through to this prayer team and they're lifting up those prayer requests on behalf of us. Marianne, our pastoral coordinator, Cheryl before her, many others before Cheryl, have that important responsibility of sending those prayer requests that come out from our family, from our New Life family, 
And what I wanted to do is actually honor those intercessors who are in this room or online as well. Can we just do that together? Because we hear the stories of when those prayer requests come through, those intercessors are praying for us straight away. And we are so grateful for you using that gift. So the third way for us to live and pray in light of these requests is expectantly. And what does it mean to be expectant or expecting? Perhaps it could be put this way. By living as expecting something, you're not just grinding it out. You're not just drifting from one day to the next. You're living with purpose and expectation of something coming. When my wife, Dana and I, were, not Dana and I were pregnant, when my wife was pregnant, when we found out she was pregnant, we lived with an expectation of what was happening and what was to come. I don't know how many trips we did to Ikea or how many trips we did into a baby shop with the expectation of what was to come. We were living in expectation. See, as Christ followers, we are meant to live with the sense of expectation. So this means that as we believe and as we know that God has us around that board table for a reason or has us running that business for a reason or has us raising those kids for a reason or in that university for a reason, do we know why we are there? Do we know why God is, or how God is using us? Because we're not just studying, we're not just working, we're not just running that business, we're not just leading those people. We're influencing people through God's kingdom and through His Spirit. I, had, I went for a haircut the other day and I happened to go with a different barber than usual. Thank you, Mark, appreciate that. <laughs> and when sitting in that chair, I knew that I wasn't there just for a haircut. I knew that I was there to tell this brother about a kingdom, a God, a father who had no idea, who he had no idea about, but yet he was so interested in my faith, he was so interested in the decisions that my wife and I had made in comparison to the decisions that he or his friends or the world had made. Because they were so upside down to the way that he had done things or to even to the way that the world does things. It was attractive to him, and he wanted to know more. I can't wait for my next haircut to continue that conversation because I'm expecting that God will use me. I'm expecting that this brother will keep asking questions because he knows that there's something that he hasn't yet been introduced to. And I'm expecting that God will change his life through it. His name is Christian as well, and that's how our conversation started. And so if you're a believer, if you're born again, we carry something of God, His Spirit, His kingdom that the world cries out for, and that should move us to live expectantly. Romans 8, 17. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in His sufferings in order that we may also share in His glory. Are we praying and living as heirs of the kingdom, reigning and ruling alongside Jesus? Are we praying and living as heirs of the kingdom? Because we should be. See, by living as heirs of Christ, we move forward in life as, Jesus, as followers of Jesus, expecting that God will act, expecting that God loves to hear our prayers, expecting that we can make an impact in this world through God's power and his kingdom, and expecting the day when Jesus returns. So where does this leave us? The band is welcome to come up. For those that are believers and followers of Jesus, are we living and praying obediently? Are we living and praying outwardly? And are we living and praying expectantly? And for those that don't yet know Jesus, 
if you feel a stirring in your heart to seek God, it is because God himself is seeking you. When Christian, that barber, asked me yesterday, hey, brother, did God choose you or did you choose God? I thought that was such a cool question. And I know that just as God pursued me, I knew God was pursuing him. And he said, hey, man, not me, not with what I've done. And he told me about his knots and he told me about the things that he did. And I was like, shoo, yes, yes. But there was no doubt in me that just as God pursues us, God is pursuing him. And that's where I said to him, I know, you know what the best part about Jesus is? That it's a relationship, it's not a religion. It's not about a system, it's not about rules, it's about relationship. It's that our past is wiped clean and we're given a fresh start. And you just need to receive and step into that purpose for which God, is, God has created you for. No longer chasing our own happiness, No longer chasing the things of this world, but finding fulfillment in living out God's plan for your life. And so will you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? And as you do so, for those in the room and those online, I'd love you just to ask that question, God, what are you saying to me through this message? To live obediently, to live outwardly and expectantly. What might he be saying to you this morning? And my hope and my prayer is that through this message, that you have the opportunity to see God and to partner with Him, either through relationship or maybe through bold prayers for His kingdom to come and His will to be done in your family, in your life, in your workplace, in school. And so if, if you are in this room and you're thinking, actually, you know what, Kelvin, I'd like to say that prayer. I'd like to ask God, invite God into my life. Then I'd ask, can we all do the, say this prayer together? Let's repeat after me with those who are maybe saying it for the first time. God, I need you. I am sorry for the things that I've done in my past. And I thank you for what you've done for me on the cross so that I can live forgiven and set free. I trust in you and you alone as my personal Lord and Savior. Thank you, Lord, for saving me and forgiving me. And Father, as we stay in this time of prayer, Lord, we want to thank you. And we want to take a moment to surrender everything to you today. We want to take a moment to put our focus on your kingdom and your will, not ours, not the world's, yours. Speak to us, Lord, help us. Reveal to us what it is that we need to change, remove, or work on in order to grow closer to you and become a weapon for you in our spheres of influence. We want to represent you well, Father, all for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.